All right, appreciate that song, Alexis. When we're saved, we are set free from the penalty of sin. Praise the Lord for that. If you've got your Bible, get to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Appreciate you taking time out of your evening to be here. I know it's the Lord's Day. And I hope that uh, as Brother Chuck prayed earlier that you came looking for the Lord to pour of His Word into you. I have nothing in it of myself to give you, but the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I missed the joints and marrow, but uh, you'll have to excuse me on that. But uh, I'm excited to be here tonight. And uh, the Bible is a very interesting book. And uh, I, uh, like Brother Joe said, I think on Wednesday, he doesn't know how many times he's read through the Bible, but the more I read the Bible, the more I realize that I don't know as much about the Bible as I thought I did. Right? There are some topics and concepts in the Bible that are very easy for us to understand and very difficult for us to practice, and we're going to talk about uh, one of those specifically tonight. And then there's some other things in the Bible that are just kind of hard to understand, and uh, they're more, uh, uh, I guess, academic than uh, you know, practical, but we're going to talk about some practical stuff tonight, and hopefully you'll learn a little bit if you didn't already know this from the Bible, but in Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to see a very unique list that God gives us in His Word. And uh, one of the things that I think is very interesting uh, about the Bible is that the Bible is timeless, meaning that it is just as applicable to us today as it was when it was written, uh, in many cases, three and 4,000 years ago. Right? Uh, for anything to be applicable, applicable uh, for that long, it has to be of God. Amen. Right? And uh, I think that uh, the le- English language, uh, as it changes, and uh, you know, people use that as a reason to change Bible versions and this and that, but uh, I want us to think for a second of how uh, different our language is today uh, than it was you know, even 40 and 50 years ago. Right? Uh, when I was a kid... Uh, and, you know, being the youth pastor, I, I, I give the teenagers a hard time about this. Just about every teenager, their first boyfriend or girlfriend, they tell them they love them. Right? Doesn't that kind of cheapen it a little bit? Right? Uh, uh, one, uh, another youth pastor was here visiting uh, on vacation this morning, and he told me that during his Sunday school story time, uh, one, of his, one, of his, one of his girls just happened to share. It's like, I had my first kiss with my boyfriend the other day. It's like, well, thank you for sharing, Right? Like you kind of, you're you're kind of you're kind of cheapening it when 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 you know every person you come across you tell them you love them and you know this that and the other right yeah, and so the word love has been cheapened in our society today right uh, I I'm very fortunate I wasn't really in any serious relationships to where I was uh, pressured uh, by uh, above any kind of normal amount to tell the girl that I was dating that I loved her my wife is the first woman and only woman that I've told her I've I've loved. And I, I, I wanted to save that for the person that I married. And uh, I think that uh, as we look at some other language used, there's, uh, the word hate is a word that we throw around a lot today. Right? We, we often say, you know, uh, even about a friend, it's like, I hate him. We don't really hate him, though. Especially, you know, when you look at the actual definition of the word, you don't, you don't hate him, especially if it's your friend. Right? There's some things that we hate, right? You know, if somebody's, you know, abusing children, it's like, man, I, I hate that. I hate that. You almost want to hate the person, right? You know, they're, 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 the word hate is something that we throw around a lot. The Bible doesn't really use the word hate that often. And we're going to look at some things that God hates this evening. We're going to focus in on one specific thing. But uh, in, he, in Proverbs chapter 6, 
And we're going to start in verse 16. The Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So those seven things are on that list of uh, the six things that the Lord hates and seven are abomination to Him. And uh, as I was studying for this message, I kind of was confused by the initial verse there. What, what, What is the distinction between those six and seven things. And uh, I kind of want to help us understand that a little bit better. Turn over to the book of Amos. So we have a few people who have immigrated from another country here. Uh, I know that uh, when Brother Joe and Miss Latithia first got married, one of the uh, most humorous things that we did, it'd be better if she was here uh, to kind of laugh with her about it, but uh, her knowing Catalan and Spanish and then learning English, she didn't understand uh, very many of our, uh, you know, uh, figures of speech, right? If you were to say, uh, use a figure of speech, she would be really confused about it, right? Uh, and I don't know of any, I don't remember any specific ones, but I remember just kind of laughing at her lack of understanding of the English language, right? And uh, I, I kind of give some of our other, uh, some of our teenagers that, uh, you know, learn Spanish first and then English. I give them a hard time. Usually give them nicknames that are, uh, have something to do in Spanish that's borderline insulting. But um, the Bible actually contains some figures of speech, though, that because we are not Hebrew people, we don't necessarily understand what they mean uh, right off the bat. And uh, Amos chapter number 1, and it would help if I went there. Keep getting talking too much. Amos chapter 1 verse 3. This was something that was always really confusing to me. And uh, it says, and he said, the Lord will, uh, uh, verse 3, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have threshed Gilead with the threshing instruments of iron. You know, what is this three and for four mean. And what it is, it's actually a, uh, it's a figure, it's a Hebrew figure of speech for a list that is not exhaustive. So uh, essentially the number of sins that uh, the, uh, the people of Damascus were committing uh, is not, you know, three and four sins. It's a, it's a long list of sins that he's just using a number to illustrate. And so we understand from the rest of the Bible that God hates more than six things. God hates more than seven things. There are more than seven abominations mentioned in the Bible. But this is indicative of a list that is not exhaustive of some things that God hates. And so the six and seven is not necessarily an important number, though this is a specific list of seven things that God does hate. And we're going to look at that a little more specifically here in just a minute. But uh, that's not the main focus of the passage. The list itself is important. And uh, for those of us who uh, try to love the Lord and want to please Him, we should seek to avoid the things on this list. Anything that God hates, we should also try to hate. Anything that's an abomination to God, we should also uh, try to make it an abominable thing to us and something that we detest in our souls, something that is absolutely abhorrent to us. That's what an abomination is. But this passage in the book of Proverbs contains you know, what seems to me to be like a list of things that we excuse in ourselves above any of the other things that God uh, in the rest of Scripture says that He hates or an abomination to Him. 
I think that uh, a number of things that the Bible describes as being hated or abominable to God is linked to idolatry, false religion, uh, sins against our human nature, right? Those things are things that God says that He hates. Those are abominations to Him. And some of these things here, we don't really look at them as that big of a deal, right? We don't look at someone who uh, has a lying tongue in the same way that we look at, you know, Leviticus 18 when it talks about if a man lie with a, uh, a man as with a woman, it's an abomination, right? We don't look at a lying tongue as, a, as, an, as the same kind of abomination, but God, God lists them both as an abomination, right? And I think that's something that we really as Christians need to try and find more of the heart and mind of God on. We need to look at things as God looks at them. It's very easy for us to look at things that other people are doing and say, yes, that is an abomination to God. But when it's something in our own life, in our own heart, when the Bible says that God hates it, we don't really, that, that kind of makes us uncomfortable. Right? When we're doing something that's an abomination to God, that makes us a bit uncomfortable. And uh, I want to focus in on one of these specific uh, aspects uh, from this list. And uh, I want to talk about uh, that very last one. It says, and he that soweth discord among brethren. God hates the sowing of discord among brethren. And uh, we could talk about each of the things on that list, but I want to focus in on this specific one. And uh, sowing discord is defined as anything that causes, continues, or escalates a conflict. Right? One thing I want to uh, uh, draw a distinction in is because the text in the, this list right here, there are three things that deal directly with the words that we say. Right? The uh, lying tongue. Right? When we think of someone who's sowing discord, we automatically think to someone who's spreading false rumors about others. Right? That's covered by the lying tongue. We think of a false witness that speaketh lies, and uh, they're, they're someone spreading something that's not true, someone that is uh, causing others to look down upon someone with false information, right? Uh, that's different than sowing discord among brethren. There, there's a distinction, though those are also sowing discord. Sowing discord can be telling someone the truth that they don't need to hear at that particular time. It could be sharing something that someone said about someone else to you and going and telling that person. All that does is fuel conflict. That is sowing discord. That is an abomination to God. That is something that God hates. Three of the seven in this list deal directly with the words that we choose. Lying tongues, false witnesses, and, un and causing unnecessary conflict among brethren. This specific trait covers uh, those who would tell the truth with the intent of causing, continuing, and escalating a conflict. When we choose to disclose information at the wrong time to the wrong person, that brings conflict rather than resolution. Right? I think that a lot of times uh, when we are that person who is, oh, well, I'm just telling them what somebody else said, what we're really doing is we're just uh, kind of enjoying the drama that we get to be a part of. And just kind of being happy that it's somebody else being talked about, not us. We're getting to participate in it and not really feeling like we're actually part of it, but God looks at this differently than we do. When we choose to share information to anyone other than someone who's going to work to resolve the situation in a way that pleases God, we are sowing discord among brethren. I 
Having been, to, uh, uh, having been a Christian for a long time, I have seen and have been part of and have seen it happen in many people's lives where discord has been sown and the cause of Christ has been hurt. Where people in the church have been hurt. Where uh, people who were lost decided not to come back to church because of discord among brethren in the church. Though that's not an excuse for someone to reject God, people have rejected God for far less reasons than that. Discord is disdained by God. He describes it as something he hates. It's an abomination to him. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28, the Bible says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Uh, the word froward means someone who's purposely rebellious. And I think that all of us, whether you are saved or not, whether you've been in church uh, for years, or whether this is your first time in church, you understand that it is just wrong in the eyes of God and really wrong to everybody to talk negatively or to cause conflict among others. That's something that God has built into us, and that's why, uh, that, that, that's, I think that's part of why this is an abomination to God. Because it goes against our human nature. We know that it is wrong, and we choose to do it anyway. Satan embodies this trait himself. He stirred up Cain against Abel. He stirred up Ishmael against Isaac. He stirred up Esau against Jacob. He stirred the sons of Jacob up against their brother Joseph. And in contrast, Jesus is the uh, healer of broken homes. He's the reconciler of estranged brethren. He's the prince of peace. He brought Peter, uh, the doer, and John, the dreamer, together. Right? A couple of other disciples, he brought Simon the Zealot. This was a person who was fighting against Rome. He brought him together with Matthew the publican, the traitor of Israel. And they came together. Jesus brought them together. And so Jesus is not interested in conflict. He is not interested in discord. He is interested in unity among his, brethren, uh, among his people. We must seek to eliminate discord. And I think if we're going to eliminate discord that we sow and discord that we're part of, we must understand the damage that discord causes. First thing, I think it, the first area that it damages us, I think it's, it shows that we are disregarding Scripture. Right? We understand what the Bible says and that does not stop us from spreading rumors. That does not stop us from sharing uh, you know, every juicy detail that comes across our path. It does not stop us from you know, disguising our gossip as a prayer request when it's convenient for us. Sowing discord is something that is an abomination to God. It goes against what God has said. What God said matters, by the way. Right? I know that in our society and even among God's people, just saying that God said it so it's right is all often not enough. Right? We, we, we want to know the reason why. And I'm, I, I'm, I think we should share the reason why God wants us to do things and understand why God wants us to do things. But I think until we actually get to the place where we just recognize, hey, God is in charge. God sets the rules. I'm not, I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. Whether we understand the reason or not, we need to obey God, right? I, I don't expect my four-year-old and my two-year-old to understand why they're not allowed to play in the street. I just tell them, don't play in the street or you're in trouble. Don't even go towards the street, right? And they, they, don't need, they, they cannot understand why just yet, but they need to obey. And we as Christians, though we don't like being compared to sheep and children like we are throughout the Scripture, we must obey God first and foremost because it's what God said. Yeah. 
Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Among many, many other places, and we don't have time to go to every single passage where the Bible talks about our words, but the Bible is a very practical book, and the way that we interact with one another is something that's very important to God, and our words are important, and so the Bible has a lot to say about our words. And so Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 48 uh, Jesus said, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not, the, do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than, than others? Do not the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Right? We like to return injustice and mistreatment in kind. When someone talks bad about us, we feel licensed and we feel like we have every bit of justification that we can possibly have to talk bad about them. And so we do. Regardless of what God has said. Right? But what, what He highlights here is that the publicans, basically the the people who are most reviled in society are nice to people who are nice to them. Unbelievers and non-Christians are capable of being nice to people who are nice to them. They're capable of loving their family, but we as believers, because of the Holy Spirit of God in us, we are supposed to be able to love our enemies. We are supposed to be able to do good to those who persecute us and uh, despitefully use us. Disregarding Scripture should be something that we should take a bit more seriously. On top of it being a uh, disregard of Scripture, it dishonors the Lord. Just because you know something doesn't give you the right to share it. Just because they've shared things about you in the past doesn't mean you have license to share what you wish to share about them, even if it's true. Because God's people actually are best identified by our love for one another. Turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 35, the Bible says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love for one another. One to another, excuse me. Sowing discord is quite the opposite of loving one another. Causing conflict is the opposite of showing love for one another. Our love for one another legitimizes our faith to those who have no faith. It is what identifies us as believers. It is what causes people to look at us and say, hey, there is something different about that person. To find God's people in conflict causes those with little or no knowledge of the Bible to see that we're not living as God intended us to live. We're not practicing what we preach. Sowing discord causes a distraction from God's purpose and a disruption of God's work. James chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You could be the best dressed person here. You could be the most involved person here. But if you have a tendency to share what should not be shared, if you are a sower of discord among brethren, understand that your religion, according to the book of James, is vain. You're missing out on, some of the, on the most basic aspect of Christianity. 
You don't control what you say. You're self-deceived and your religion is vain. Discord causes discouragement to all around, uh, discouragement to everyone and damage to your own personal testimony. Right? I think that when we think of people who sow discord, I think someone automatically came to each of our minds. Somebody. Somebody specific. Usually somebody who's hurt us or somebody who's, uh, I guess, annoyed us with their uh, sowing of discord in one way or another, but somebody almost always comes to mind whenever I think of that. And rather than it, us just looking at what other people are doing, we need to look at ourselves first and foremost. Because I think this is something that every single person here is guilty of in one way or another at one time or another. We all want to be involved in what's going on around us. We all want to be lifted above those around us. And if we have to tear a couple people down along the way, you know, hey, what, what's the big deal? Everybody else does it. We've all been on the receiving end of gossip. All of us hate when uh, we're the ones hurt by it. But that doesn't stop us from sharing information we shouldn't share about others. We need to understand that it doesn't just hurt that person. And when it's done to us, it doesn't just hurt us. It affects everyone around us. It, it affects our families. It affects those who uh, we're supposed to minister to. It's, it affects those who we're supposed to reach. It affects those who are connected to us. It causes us all to fail to represent Christ. It hurts our spouse. It hurts our children. It hurts those close to us when we sow discord among brethren. Rather than considering someone else, we should look at our own hearts and see whether we are the ones who have been guilty of sowing discord among brethren. There are a few character traits that when we consider them, very few things cause us to overlook everything else about a person quite like sowing discord does. Right? Uh, someone who has uh, just that reputation of being the one that's, got, that's always gossiping, that's always sharing what they shouldn't share, that's, that, that's always talking about other people, that's really what you think of when you think of that person, even if that person does a lot of other things that are good. It's one of those things that we look at as not being a big deal, but it completely overshadows our testimony. It causes people to not trust us. It causes us to, to, to not have very many friends. Outside of gross moral failure, there are few things that will follow you like a reputation for being a gossip and a causer of conflict. Often we are not careful with what we say. I'm guilty of this. Right? I, think, I, th I think all of us need time, and I think uh, many of us, this is not any, I, I'm not teaching you anything new tonight, but we all need reminders on a regular basis of how important our words are. How important every single word that we speak is to those around us. How an idle word about someone else can cause a great deal of pain and hurt in their life. God looks at our sowing of discord with hatred. Do you look at your sowing of discord with hatred? Or do you just simply hate when other people do it? So how can we choose to be better in this area of our life? How can we dismantle the discord that we sow? And I think the first thing we need to do, we need to, to decide to, to submit to Scripture first. Amen. Right? It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's not about uh, whether, you are, uh, wh whether you receive justice 
or justice is given to the person who's wronged you. It's not about who you have always been or what your natural disposition is. What the Bible says should be first and foremost in our hearts. How God sees this issue is how we should see this issue. How God looks at this issue is how we should look at this issue. And you know what? I think that so often we as Christians become so uh, complacent in, with regards to our words that we don't look at these things anymore. Yeah, I, I know words are important. I'm, I, I'm, I'll be careful. That's not how God looks at it. This is serious to God. In every situation, we must determine to seek peace. How many of you enjoy losing? Does anybody like to lose? Nobody. Does anybody like to win? I, I, I always prefer to win. I'm actually quite upset if I don't win. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, we got this game. It is the stupidest game uh, that I've ever played. It's for Ben. He's four. And so it's this game where there's like a tree, and you spin a little thing, and you got a little squirrel, and basically whatever it lands on, there's a color, and you have to collect all the colors. And it is the dumbest game that I've ever played. I play it because he likes it, but I, it, it is not very mentally invigorating for me. But guess what? When we play, guess who's going to win? He did beat me legitimately the other day, uh, but he was cheating the whole time, which uh, if you've ever played games with me, you probably say, well, you probably deserve that. Uh, you know, he was grabbing it and not really playing right, and I'm just kind of like pulling my hair saying, you know, quit cheating, boy, let's get this game going. And uh, I like to win, right? And you know what? I, I, I like to win. It doesn't matter what it is. I, want, I like to win, and I think all of us are like that to some degree or another. Right? Hopefully you don't resort to you know, cheating when you're playing against small children in games to win. You know, that might be signs of a deeper issue that, you're, that you need to work on. But we all like to win. And when, there's con when, when we have conflict with someone else, I don't think that the situation is any different. I think that if there's conflict, we want people to see us as the one that came out on top. We want people to see us in the positive light and understand if we're going to seek peace as God would have us seek peace, that means that we're not always going to seek ultimate victory in every situation. That means you might have to take some, uh, some negativity being spoken about you on the chin and just keep moving. That's not something we like to do. We like to have other people do it when we're wrong and we talk badly about them. But if someone talks badly about us, no, I, I, no we, need to make, we need to make sure this is, this, this is fixed. Seeking peace rather than total victory. Peace is the opposite of conflict. Where there is peace, there is no discord. If there's conflict in your home, then you're not seeking peace. You know, you can sow discord in your own family with your own spouse. And if you have conflict in that, guess what? You're just as responsible as the other person. My Bible says only by pride cometh contention. And so... Your, your own pride and your own desire to be right or to be the one that comes out on top in that situation is causing discord. You are sowing discord and God hates that. Conflict in the church. Conflict at your job. All of those things are there because we have chosen to allow that conflict to be cultivated. It takes two people to have a conflict. 
Someone can say something about you, and if you uh, decide to have the mind and the heart of God in this situation, you're going to seek peace and you're going to let it roll off you. You're going to bless them that curse you, not curse them that curse you. Right? You know, like the Bible says, you know, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to follow what the Bible says. Right? Well, you know, it doesn't apply because uh, they said this and it wasn't true about me, so I could do it. I, I got to say this. That's not seeking peace. God hates when we sow discord. Continuing a conflict is sowing discord. You, 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 can, you can dislike that all you want, but that's what the Bible says. Continuing in a conflict is sowing discord. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13, a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. You know what, if you're going to seek peace, you know what, you're instead of sharing every detail with any person that comes across your path or going to somebody as soon as someone talks badly about them and you know, just kind of stirring the pot in that relationship, you know what, you're, maybe you just let it go. Amen. Ephesians 4.29, 20, the Bible says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Right? Uh, rather than just saying, well, it's true so I can say it, is it edifying also? Is it building others? Right? If it's causing conflict, that, that, though it might be truth, it is not edifying, and we should be saying something that is edifying. Anything that's not edifying, uh, you know, we could call it corrupt in one way or another. Choose Kindness. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24, the Bible says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. Right? I'm not teaching you anything new. I'm not giving you some great truth that was uh, undiscovered before tonight from the Scripture. This is all things that we know, but we need to be reminded of this. Right? Because uh, I, I need to be reminded to be kind. I need to be reminded to seek peace. I need to be reminded that God uh, doesn't like and God hates when I allow conflict to continue. Amen. We need to draw upon God's grace to grow in this area of our life. Let's look over at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at the tail end of that chapter and uh, the first couple of verses of chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. The Bible says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, uh, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, uh, I read, uh, I, we, we often hear about the, the milk and the meat of the word, but directly in context with this is the Bible is talking about personal relationships, loving one another. 
It tells us to lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings. Those are things that we're supposed to put away from us. That is baseline, basic Christianity. And as newborn babes desire the sincere milk, the Word of God will cause us to grow in that particular area. Let me tell you this, if you, are, if you are struggling with your words, if you're struggling to overcome this uh, spreading of conflict, the sowing of discord, it is because you are not growing like you should be in the Word of God. It is because the Word of God is not enough, uh, a big enough part of your life to cleanse that sin from your heart just as of yet. When you allow the Word of God into your life, it will change you in this specific area. This is one of the first areas that it will start to help you in. Right? Remember, we talked about uh, um, a man that bridles not his tongue, his religion is vain. Right? God doesn't want us to have a vain religion. Our words matter to God, and if you are not being changed by the Word of God on a daily basis, then you are going to struggle to grow in this area of your life. Brother Joe talked about it this morning. Uh, I, I'm not going to do it, but you know, I, 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 I'm glad that we're challenged all the time here to be people that read our Bible every day. As a pastor, I, I want to be a person that reads my Bible every single day. I don't want to get lax on that. I don't want to be failed. I, I, I want to be reminded of how important that is all the time because that is the basis of where our faith comes from. Right? You don't know God unless you know the Bible. You don't have a relationship with Him outside of the Bible. To think that you, know, you just live in your life as, be, as good as you can and doing that for long enough, that doesn't mean that you know God. Just because you've been a Christian a long time doesn't mean you know God better than anybody else. You know God because you know the Bible. And His grace, as we submit to the Scripture, as we allow the Scripture into our life, will cause us to change to be who God wants us to be. Right? God, will, God gives us more grace. God causes us to grow as we grow in His Word. If you want to do better in this area, you need to get in the Bible. Very plain and simple. And it's amazing how many things in the Christian life have that exact answer. That should be a good enough answer for us. I know we like to know why, and like I said before, I want to know why, but you know, until you know why, just obey and get in the Bible. Until you understand why, just do what God said. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You submit your life to Christ, submit yourself to Christ in this area of your life, and you're not going to fulfill the lust of your flesh. You're not going to continue in the sowing of discord whether it's the truth or not, right? Whether, whether you feel justified in it or not, you're going to have the mind of God in that situation and the wisdom to know whether it should be shared or not or who to share it with. My hope and my, my prayer for each person here tonight is that we would each choose to submit to the Spirit of God and by His grace grow in our use of our words. That we would that that our words would be uh, like a word fitly spoken, which is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. I, I I want every word I say to be honoring and pleasing to God. I hope that's your prayer. Amen. I hope that there is not a single person here with which you have conflict, because if you allow that conflict to continue, you are sowing discord. 
Maybe, maybe you need to go to somebody tonight after church and say, you know what, hey, uh, I've had some, some bad feelings towards you. I want to make, make it right. And if the situation doesn't call for it, maybe you just come down to the altar and uh, give that to the Lord and just start being nice to that person again. Right? If, if, if you've got a genuine conflict with someone and uh, they've said stuff to you, you've said stuff to them, you need to go to them and fix it. But if it's something you're just harboring in your heart, you need to fix it down at the altar. We've become far too calloused when it comes to uh, dealing with things that are inside us. And then when uh, everything around us starts falling apart, then it's like, well, you know, what's going on here? I'm, I'm faithful to church. I try to, I try to do what God wants me to do. Well, you know what? You've been neglecting your heart, and you've been neglecting the, 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 the internal things that God wants you to do, and you wonder why you're not doing what God wants you to do. You wonder why you have conflict. It's because you're ignoring the Spirit of God in your life. There should not be a single person with whom we would not speak. There should not be a single person, uh, especially among God's people, with whom that we, you know, we cannot have a pleasant, kind conversation. There should not be a single person in this church who you'd be mad if you sat by him during church. And I know that in a church our size, that's not the case. I'm not aware of any conflicts, but I'm sure that people have conflict with one another because we're people. Right? We all get offended from time to time. Right? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't take much to offend us. Right? But when we allow that to continue, that's something God hates. Because though you might not, you, you may say, I, I'm not letting it out, or I'm not showing that person that I'm upset with them, it does come out in your, in your disposition and your spirit towards them. It comes out in your interactions with other people. And we need to value those things a little bit more and seek the mind and heart of God on that. If you could just, uh, if everyone could bow your heads and close your eyes and stand to your feet, we're going to have a moment of invitation.